0: All right, everyone. Welcome to the forty-sixth Fireside Chat. We have a couple of new people with us today. We have Bodan, and we have well, Patricia's back. Um, so, welcome to the new people. And we'll get started with our very newest person, Bodan. Um, please, where are you? Where are you coming in from, Bodan? Uh. Hello, uh, I'm in New Jersey right now. Oh, New uh, Jersey. Okay. Well, that's that's close by. <laughs> that's closer than I thought. Well, go ahead with your first question. All right. Um. Uh, yes, I just had a question for Tom. Hello, Tom. Hi, Buddha. Uh, I I was wondering about out-of-body shared experience and how practically achieve it. Uh, would you be so kind also to share your personal experience if if you wouldn't mind in this area
1: okay well i have i have gone out of body with other people several times where i met them in the out-of-body state and then did things together with them and then when we both came back to uh this reality uh, we we could exchange our memories of what transpired and see whether or not we were truly. Um, Together in our out of body, whether we saw the same thing. So I've done that several times. And of course, one time that you've probably read about, because it's in the first uh, section of the first book, is when Dennis and I went out. And of course, that wasn't us exchanging memories so much as we had a tape recorder of all the things that we were saying, kind of stream of consciousness back to Bob. And uh, since it was all on tape, we could just listen to the conversations going back and forth. So it is possible. And i don't know how to tell you uh so much about doing it the way dennis and i did it and the way uh, nancy lee and i did it was just to have the intent to do it have the intent to go someplace first and meet with dennis it was above the uh um, roof of the of the little uh, lab that we had uh, i can't remember where we started out with nancy lee where the start point was but you start in some particular point where you connect with each other at that point. So you have to have an intent to do that. And you both have to have, you know, it both has to be successful for both persons and then the two of you can go out together. Now that's kind of probably what you're talking about. So it's just intention, uh, to meet someplace. Once you meet, you have to connect. You have to kind of be aware of that person and connect to them and have the intention to stay with them so that wherever they go, you go. And they have the same intention. You know, wherever you go, they'll go. And uh, with that intention, then it just works. You know, intent seems to be the, the magic wand of, uh, you know, about a body You know, it's the thing that makes things happen. Now, it's also possible to do it when only one person is aware. Now, I've done that <clears throat> multiple times. And that's where you can go to where somebody else is uh, hopefully in a in a uh, relaxed state, the meditation state, and you can actually go connect to them uh, if you will um, uh, you know not literally but figuratively kind of grab hold of their of uh, their uh, uh, out of body body, if you will, or their consciousness, and then you can actually take them someplace. so you can take them on an adventure. Um, sometimes the reason I've done it is people have begged me to please help them get out of body. So I've gone there, kind of scooped them up and pulled them out of body. Uh, it's not really out of body, out of body is a metaphor, but it's not something I do. It's something I generally try not to do. Um, so it's the reason I don't do it is because the person isn't really ready and they generally don't get the whole thing real clearly. They'll get bits and pieces of it and parts of it they'll kind of get the sense of maybe lifting out and then they'll get the sense of seeing this or seeing that, or being in a place, but it's very similar. Do they just get the whole thing in detail? So it's very foggy in their mind, which makes it kind of a not very satisfying experience from their viewpoint because they're not really, I guess, ready to be conscious in that, in that state yet. Now I have done it once. Um, but it was a very quick thing. Uh, again, it was just a test. I was asked to to do something, and I thought it would be a good test. This was probably like uh, you know fifty years ago or so, um, and uh, I picked up a, a young lady. We were all laying around at the swimming pool on a you know on a, on a, a weekend in the summer, probably back in the nineteen uh, middle early nineteen seventies and i just scooped up her consciousness and went straight up about 3 or 400 feet straight up took a look at the view you know looked down and uh it scared her because she suddenly found herself you know 300 feet in the air and uh, wasn't quite sure what she was doing there even though she had asked me to do something i guess she didn't know what i was going to do so it frightened her so she did actually see it in in some detail but i didn't stay up there very long i just brought her back down and uh so the whole thing was probably only thirty seconds or so, but she was aware of it and clearly aware of it, but mostly that's not the case. Mostly, the other person is kind of in a in a fog when that uh, when that happens. so you can do that when the other person isn't really part of it in the sense that they're trying to meet you and go with you because they're not quite ready to do that yet. Um, it all has to do with the ability of each one to get into the being level, to have that uh, that strong intent to meet and to stay together or even to be picked up and taken someplace. But they have to maintain that intent if their mind is constantly wondering, you know, buzzing around. Oh, am I doing it? Has it happened yet? Where am I? Oh, what's that? I saw you see that keeps jumping you into the intellect. And as soon as you jump into your intellect then you kind of mess up the experience. So it really needs to be two people who are kind of veterans of of out-of-body who can do it easily and and, uh, can maintain the state and and, uh, get into it. So that's kind of the problem. If the other person isn't really uh, kind of haven't mastered out-of-body yet, then it's problematical and doesn't really work all that good.
0: All right. Well, let's go on to a question from Patricia who submitted a question today. I'm glad to see you again. I'm glad you... Finally got a question in. Please go ahead if would you like to read your question? Yes. <laughs>
2: okay, very good. Hey everyone. So hi Tom.
1: Hello, Patricia. I'm glad you're hi, asking Tom. a question today.
2: Yeah. Thank you. So um I would just read it, okay? Okay. Um Hey Tom, I think you wrote in your second book that natural desires, which are based on our rule set, like hunger or sex, don't need to be an indication for a big ego. Um, Nevertheless, there are the following thoughts and questions on my mind. I'm a very physical and a sensual person, and I feel happy and connected with myself and other people and um, sometimes with everything. When, for example, I, I swim in a lake and I feel the uh, water on my skin. Um, or, sorry, <laughs> when the sun is shining, on my skin when i eat something delicious um when i drive bicycle in the woods and i can feel the wind on my skin and uh, when i dance and sing on a concert and i can feel the music and the rhythm in my heart and um, do that with other people i love yes um, and um and above all this i have a real uh, strong desire to get close to other people and um, physically, and I have a strong sexual desire as well. So I know that all this feels good for my avatar, but sometimes I seem to be driven and pushed by my desires. Um, And I think um, if I would not be that needy, um, I would have more capacities to help other people um, to practice more meditation or um, to evolve in in general. Yes. so is it right that the that sorry, the higher consciousness is evolved, the lower are physical needs. Um, that's my first question. and then should it be a goal to get control? over them or is it the best to accept them the way they are because um i learned in my life um until now that the more you want to control something the harder it gets and um what do you think in general about this topic yeah thank Um, you the
1: the idea of the more evolved you get the less uh, you are um interested in physical things that is not true Physical things are, are, are here, we're supposed to experience here, we're supposed to interact here, we're supposed to be here. So you can be very um, evolved with your consciousness and still be very connected here. Okay? Now, as far as sensuality goes, uh, whether it's the wind on your skin or the rain or, or just being aware of your environment or sexuality, all of that is good. There's not a problem with any of that. It's all part of being human. It's all part of being aware of your environment. And it's all part of feeling kind of integrated with everything else. So when you're riding your bicycle in the woods, it's not just you alone. And you're here and the woods is over there. And it's like two separate things, you and the woods and the air and the sunshine and all of that stuff are kind of just all, you know, part of one bigger thing. And you have that sense of connecting all of those things and because it's a happy thing it's a very positive thing to connect although then it feels good you know the sunshine feels good the you know the smell of the of the forest feels good you know so that's good there's not any problem with any of that we have instincts when it comes to our sexuality and those instincts you know uh prod us to do things feel things be certain ways and if you get crossways with your instincts in other words if you try to always control your instincts if you try to banish your instincts and say i don't want i don't want to be driven by my instincts i want to you know i want to take charge of them well you'll probably make yourself neurotic because getting crosswise with your instincts is not a good idea it will leave you feeling like you're not doing it right like you're unfulfilled like there's more to it and you're missing it because your instincts require their own sense of fulfillment you see now on the other hand if your instincts are getting in your way and causing you problems then you need to assert some control and say not now sit down you know take it easy later whatever you need to then exert some control so it's not one way or the other. It's not that your instincts are all, you know, should always have free reign all the time or that you should always control them. Neither one of those is good. What's good is that you give your instincts as much free reign as works for you, as is, um, um, you know, as is uh, appropriate or good for, your, for where you are. See, you may have uh, you may have responsibilities, you may have uh, other connections, things that uh, you need to do about other people. So let's say you have to go do something and, you know, you have to meet somebody, you have to pick your kids up after school or do something. Oh, but your heart says, I want to stay here and, you know, uh, feel the rain on my skin a little more or make love to my boyfriend or whatever you see, then it's a problem. Now your instincts are getting in the way with your responsibilities. You need to quit whatever you're doing and go pick up your kids after school. So in that case you have to tell your instincts to just sit down, be quiet, be patient, you know, this is not the appropriate time. You have other things in your life going on or other people that you have to think about. Other uh you know in in your in your uh you know it, it depends on you you know the things you have the responsibilities you have you know some people have a have a uh, kind of an exclusive relationship with another person and the idea that if you were then having sex or something with somebody outside of that it would hurt this other person it would cause a lot of difficulties in your relationship and see now you have to look at you've got responsibilities so you can't make promises to one person and then break them later you know because it feels good so that's not low entropy that's also high entropy so yes you need to allow your instincts to flourish and you need to be able to to connect with everything there is sensually intellectually emotionally being connected is good but you have to look at your life, look at your situations, look at your priorities, look at your responsibilities, look at all the promises that you've made, and then tell your instincts when it's appropriate and when it's not. So that's the idea. So the idea is to uh, maximize your, your choices for low entropy. And Low entropy isn't just you. It's also your environment, all the people you associate with, all the people you have responsibilities for. You have a responsibility to get to work on time. Well, you feel like sleeping and oh, that would just feel so good just to lie there in that bed. But you've got a responsibility to get to work on time. So you have to tell yourself, get up, go to work, even though you don't feel like it. You see, because you've, you've made promises. People are counting on you. So that's the thing. That's how you do it. Yeah, let enjoy it all. Don't suppress any of it. But be responsible and take charge of those instincts and make sure that they're appropriate. You see. So that's the thing. So sure you're riding your bike in the woods, it's appropriate to just take it all in, you know, everything. Be a part of nature. And uh that's the appropriate thing. So It's up to you and your life and your responsibilities and promises you've made and all of that for you to sort it out such that you don't stifle your feelings or your instincts or your connections or your sensuality. You don't want to stifle it, but at the same time, you can't let it run roughshod over your life because if it starts taking charge of your life, then basically you're giving up your free will choices to your instincts and you can't do that. You still have to be in charge of your choices and aware of your responsibilities and so on. So that's how that gets sorted out. One's you know none of it is bad. all of it is good, but sometimes you have priorities and, and, and responsibilities that make you kind of intercede your intellect over your uh, over your passion. Good question. A lot of people wrestle with that.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Patricia. Thank you for contributing your question today. Next, we'll have up, our lovely Vanessa has two questions for you, Tom. So we'll turn it over to Vanessa. Hi.
1: Hi, Vanessa.
3: <laughs> so I am, actually right now I'm in Vance at the uh, Center for Creative Arts and and um, Writing. I'm writing, I'm writing a book and it's the practice application of MBT. So looking at MBT really closely, there's a couple things that I'm unsure of. Um, one of them, I didn't submit this question, but one of them is how is reality rendered? Like, how is that actually working? I get that my IOC is getting a database and I'm, I'm basically um, interpreting it, but what is sending my IOC that, that, uh, data stream?
1: Okay. Well, in the bigger picture, we just say it's the larger consciousness system. But if you want to get more specific, like in the books, I say it's the big computer. Well, the big computer is just a metaphor for some piece of the larger consciousness system that is sending data. So you can think of the larger conscious system as an information system and it can configure a piece of itself like a like a server, Mm -hmm. a uh, a big computer and that computer then can do all the computations necessary to run our virtual reality so every every virtual reality has a a server a computer somewhere that's doing the computations of what to put in the data stream so that's that's just done by the lcs
3: okay so each virtual reality has its own big computer or is it just one big
1: computer well you know that's a matter of what's efficient for the system Uh, I suspect that it's probably efficient for the for the LCS to configure a separate big computer for each virtual reality. But if the virtual reality is a very complex one like ours, that's populated Mm -hmm. like ours. Okay, so here we have seven and a half billion people all getting data streams. Mm -hmm. Some are dreaming, some are awake, walking around, but they're all getting data streams pretty much all the time. So that's a lot of effort, and I would say a dedicated server, dedicated computer to that would be a good idea. On the other hand, you take um, out of body, or you take um, um, other frames, and they're kind of individual as people access them. So then you may have just one computer feeding, you know, thousands of people's out of bodies because it's not that rich in environment. There's not that much detail. And you can, you can, uh you know, it's a much simpler thing to do. So it yeah. just depends. It's a computer science problem. When the system feels like it's better to, to share within one processor than, or within one computer, then it could share as many as that makes sense. But if it's a big one like this, that requires an awful lot of processing and paying attention, I suspect that it has its own computer, just like it has its own clock
3: okay so there's the there's the tvc for this virtual reality and then so is what is happening is basically the big computer is getting information from the database and then sending it to our ioc
1: no the 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 big computer is getting information from us okay so we're making choices we're making choices So we send a choice back to the computer. All right, I'm going to get up and run now. And then we make that choice so our avatar starts to get up and, you know, get ready to run. And then the the computer has to send us that picture of our avatar standing up and getting ready to run or starting the running process. So then we tell the computer, okay, keep running. So then the computer shows the avatar, keeps running. You see, so we're making choices and as we make choices the computer takes those and and renders kind of a picture of the choices that we're making with our avatar so it's the same way that same way that the sims work right you decide to get up and walk out of your house in a sims game then you see your sims character through that but it's only after you give the the server of the sims a notion that you're going to get up out of your chair and walk to the front door. And you do that by pushing a button that says up and then, you know, pushing something that guides them to the door and that sort of thing. So once you tell the computer, the computer comes back and gives you the picture of that happening. The computer also computes all of the, uh, interactions Because, see, let's say you get up and walk toward the door. There may be 10 people standing in front of the door. So you can't just walk to the door. You're going to have to interact with those people. And maybe there's a dog in the house, and the dog wants you to walk them, so they come running around barking. So you're going to have interactions with your environment, and the computer computes those too and also adds that to your your data stream. So it's not just you as a single player. And there's sometimes consequences, okay? Because you get up and walk to the door and there's 10 people standing in your way, you end up in conversations with some of those 10 people, and you don't actually go for a walk at all because you get involved in those, those, you know, in conversation. So it all plays out moment by moment as you make choices. Computer gets your choices and computes the, the visual of the, of the choice you made and all of the consequences of that choice.
3: Oh, okay. So the big computer computes all this information, and that information is stored in the database.
1: Some of that information is stored in the databases. A lot of it is. Um, so I guess a a general answer to that would would be, yes, It's, it's all that information stored in the database. So we can go back later and see, you know, that you decided to get up and walk toward the door, ran into 10 people, started conversations and never did go out because you, the consciousness changed your mind. You decided then to talk instead of walk. So yes, all of that history would be recorded in the database and saved in a a historical database
3: right right like where is the link between the big computer and and the database how do they work together
1: well the database is in the computer you know just like um, when you do a uh, when you have word up and you misspell a word it goes and checks that spelling of that word against the database and if it doesn't match if it can't match a word it puts a little red line under it. it, tells you that it couldn't find that word in the database. Since it's got almost every word there is, then the assumption is you've misspelled it or you've made up some word that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. See? So that's the way it interacts with you.
3: Right. OK. OK. Um, so and how does how does the computer how does it compute these the picture that my IUOC gets? How
1: does that work well it gives you data that you interpret okay data that you interpret now um, how do you know how to interpret the data it's because you've been working on on figuring out how to interpret the data since before you were born you see when you were an embryo the only data you got was kind of shades of light and dark that you were in some kind of fluid that you could kick or push against some kind of barrier that was outside of you. You could hear people talking, but just muffled voices. So that was the data you, you got and you interpret it. However, now you, you get born and you start learning things. You, you learn what mom and dad and an apple is and the front door and you know, your play pen and all of these things are rendered and you get to explore them and as you explore them you get to understand them and you remember them and so that's how you learn how to interpret the data so it sends you data that through trial and error you learn how to interpret it um, so you're you're not born learning the difference between an apple and an orange you have to you have to get those two data streams the the, the data that, that describes the apple and the data that describes the orange and you have to Learn the difference between those. You have to learn what they are, you see. And every time you see an apple, it'll always have that same sort of data that you've learned means apple. So it's a language if you want to think of it that way. You know, How do you learn how to interpret uh, a million dots of light into whatever's on your video screen? Right now, you're sitting somewhere and you're looking at a video screen and it probably has uh, nine people on it. Plus a lot of words and other things, and all you're actually looking at, you're not looking at people, you're looking at a million dots of light. Right now, those dots of light are jumping all over the page because, at least in my in, yeah. in my screen, the pictures are hopping around. Okay, but you can you can follow that, so you're getting a million dots. There's a million dots of light, and you're interpreting them as certain people. Certain people you recognize, others you don't, you know, we can see the, you know, we can see the kitchen behind Justin there. And, uh, you know, maybe we've never seen his kitchen before and that may be new, you know, (laughs) or uh, maybe we always see his kitchen and that's not new. And we recognize it and we recognize that, you know, little thing here or there. Or he got a new box sitting up there on that part of his kitchen. And, uh, you know, so there's new things that you (laughs) that you won't know, but you just know how to interpret it. From dots of light. Well, you didn't sit down and take a course and looking at dots of light and figuring out what they mean, right? You just learned that because you opened your eyes and you get data comes into your eyes. And as a baby, you learn to interpret it. At first, you don't interpret much. You just see blobs of light and shapes that move around and it's really hard to interpret any of it. But as you get better and better at differentiating pieces of it, and separating it and getting detail and paying attention to the detail, then all of that stuff starts to mean something to you. You catalog that. And then when you see the same pattern, you think, well, that's the same thing. I recognize that pattern. That looks like Donna of any. You see? Mm-hmm. So then you see the, the bunches of light and you say, oh, that the, all those bunches of light look like Donna of any because you've memorized that pattern. So that's how it works. So we get a data stream. That data stream is just like the million dots of light. But we have learned since birth to interpret that data through trial and error, through our experience. So that's okay. that's really how that works. Now tell me, you know, well what does the data look like? It's not really dots of light, it's something else. No, I don't know exactly what it looks like. You see? I just know that it's data that we have learned to interpret. It's symbols, it's placement, it's things that make us see things. So it's all of our sense data is being sent to us and we're interpreting it as sight because our avatar looked around and the things our avatar saw through their eyeballs, that's what we call seeing. That's what we interpret as sight and then some of them we interpret as hearing because that was the stuff the avatar got from acoustic waves impinging on its eardrums. So we have created our ability to interpret the data from trial and error experience
3: okay that kind of brings me to my other question that i had um and it was around the avatar con- creating constraints on your consciousness uh, to what extent does that affect your consciousness so i'm going to just give you an example okay so if you have one ioc and it is playing say my avatar vanessa and now if i if this avatar is watching a really um very like sad scene in a movie. And this avatar um, interprets it to be really sad and this avatar starts crying. Okay, so the crying, the emotion, the emotion is the being level, so that would be the IUOC having that emotion, expressing itself. Now let's say this IUOC, let's say it was playing another avatar, okay? And this avatar was a very, was playing like Tom Campbell, let's say. Like somebody who doesn't really express themselves with, with crying or anything. And so is watching the same movie, getting the same information, but getting it through your avatar, would my IOC, even though it was playing your avatar, but it's the same IOC, right? It's just playing a different avatar. Would it Would it then cry through your avatar?
1: Okay, so <laughs> your IOC, you're telling me your IOC is playing my avatar.
3: Like right? an avatar like yours, like an avatar that was...
1: You know, they grew up and didn't really talk about feelings very (laughs) much. Yeah, well, there's, there's, um, again, the constraints that you get from, from the, um, from the data. You know, the data you get comes from a is calculated because of a rule set. That rule set, the data represents the rule set. That rule set also defines biology. Yeah. Okay. And the way our biology works is if you get really, really sad about something, you'll start to cry. Okay, That's part of the way the biology works. See, the, the tear ducts and the tears and all of that physical stuff. So it's part of what the avatar does, how the avatar acts. So when the consciousness gets really sad or touched by something, then the the avatar expresses that feeling with tears. Because that's just how that avatar is going to express those feelings. So if you happen to have, you know, if you could, if you could, uh, if you could get out of, you know, let's say you get out of your body and you go get in somebody else's body. So now you have a different avatar. Okay. So we're just making this up. This is just a what if. Okay. What if you could, you know, jump out of your body and and get into my body or somebody else's. And now this other person sits down and watches a sad movie too, okay? Because it's your mind, you would feel very, very sad. And that person would probably feel very, very sad too. And that person would probably cry in as much as their avatar would respond to your feeling of sadness. So the avatar would probably follow the consciousness more than it would itself. But yet the the avatar has some, you know, it's not just, you know, it, it has some of its own constraints. Because if you get somebody who, uh, let's say, hardly ever cries, well, their tear ducts may be very small. They may only make, uh, you know, a milliliter worth of tears, and that's all they keep on hand because they never cry. So the body has adjusted to that, you know, don't cry situation. You know, it's a use it or lose it in all of our biology. Whereas you may have tear ducts that you know store up like a court, you know, because yeah, you know, you make it rain when you cry. So so you might be in this other body and you might see that really sad thing, and you may, your your conscious in its sadness, well maybe start crying, but you may not get many tears because the avatar just doesn't have the biology to support that, because they haven't developed the, you know, the storage tank that you have, you know, for tears so it's that sort of thing you're not you know each avatar is going to be different about how it responds to things but you as the consciousness are going to be the the inner feeling okay so consciousness you know but every avatar is not the same so some avatars will have a higher or lower capacity for all sorts of things just crying is one of them you see every avatar has a higher or lower capacity just in I don't know, innate uh, intelligence in how, how how tall they are and, uh, you know, just all sorts of things makes them different. They see the world a little differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their, their perspective is a little different. They have different experiences. So in their, you know, in, in their world, they may see sad things all the time. Let's say you find an avatar where sad things happen to them daily. They live in a very rough situation where people, you know, they see people die, you know, maybe every other week. They see, you know, a lot of death and destruction and misery and that sort of thing. And then when they see a sad moment on a soap opera that you're looking at, it may not phase them at all because that's not, that doesn't even qualify as sad. Those people in that soap opera are, are filthy rich and, you know, have everything their way and, every, you know, their life is perfect. And now they're going boo-hoo because they didn't get their way over something. And Mm. that person may just, you know, look at it differently. So different, different consciousnesses are going to interpret their situations differently. And different avatars are going to have different capacities. So you mix all that up together and you just can't substitute one from another and get the same reaction. You won't. There's differences on both sides. the consciousness Mm -hmm. side and for the avatar and for the avatar side so we're all unique and that's what's that part of what makes us uh um all very valuable because we're all unique we all bring a different viewpoint to the table so that's what's good about us
3: yeah okay yeah i really wanted to understand like how much of a constraint, does the avatar place on the consciousness? Is it that much of a constraint? Yeah,
1: a lot of constraint. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we have different. Our biology has a lot of variants in it. You know, there's a lot of random randomness taking place when that egg meets sperm, and you have all of these billions of possibilities. That's why no people look alike. You know, you have all these billions of possibilities, and these these just come out in a particular expression and that expression will have different ways that it, it functions. Everybody's a little different. Everybody's avatar doesn't work just the same way. We, we are physically different. You know, some of us are red green colorblind and some of us are really short. Some of us have long hair and short hair and some of us are pretty and some of us are ugly. And, Some of us are rich and some of us are poor, and we all live those lives. That gives us a different set of experiences. Not that any set is more valuable than the other. All those sets of experiences are valuable, Mm -hmm. but they're different. And avatars modify themselves to express the consciousness that's playing them. Okay, So the avatar itself will change to express the consciousness so if you've got a consciousness that's very weepy and cries a lot then that avatar will you know the uh you know have have a have a large capacity you know for tears and uh well uh feel very comfortable doing that crying because that's what it does a lot so its capacity for for tears becomes higher Now, you may, you have some people that uh, almost never smile, never laugh, never smile. You know, well, you know, things that are funny, even people tell jokes, you might get a little tiny smile out of them, but not much. And they never would give a belly laugh or a ha 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 or anything like that. You know, everything is very buttoned up. Well, that's because that consciousness is that way. And the avatar grows to support that. Uh See? Oh. Avatars modify themselves to support their consciousness, so that they enable their consciousness to express itself better. So the avatar, yeah, you know, that's what I mean when I say the mind leads and the body follows.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Your consciousness, you have certain attributes. Your avatar will begin to shift in ways that support those attributes.
3: So it almost sounds as
1: though consciousness has like a personality. Well, it does. Consciousness has personality. Yes, it's not the avatar's personality. When you play your elf, your elf's personality is your personality. When you're playing your elf in World of Warcraft, you may stop every two or three minutes to dance just because you just (laughs) think it's really fun to see your elf dance. You know, somebody else never has their elf dance. They just wouldn't think of, you know, pushing the dance button or whatever it is that makes the elf dance. They just never do that because that doesn't express them. That would be like, what would I want to do that for? Whereas somebody else, you know, just can't help but, but <laughs> uh, you know, make yeah. that elf uh, do a few dance steps on, you know, all along the way. It's just, yeah, the personality is in the consciousness, not in the avatar. But oh. the avatar learns to express that personality. When I say learns, I don't mean like in an intellectual, I just, it, it, it it adjusts its biology, adjusts to express the, uh, the consciousness.
3: Okay. I don't know why, but that, that feels really comforting knowing that my consciousness is, is what has this personality and then knowing that it it'll never kind of leave. Like when this life is over, I'll still have me, my true essence, and it comes with Personality,
1: yeah. Right, comes with a personality. Now your IUOC has had many personalities. Right? It has had mm-hmm. a lot of personalities, and all those personalities kind of get integrated up, and when it's does another uh when it does another uh incarnation, mm-hmm. its quality is what gets transferred, and in that quality, some of that is going to be probably personality, you know, may be part of that. Let's say your personality is one of being very positive. And very happy and just very, uh, you know, you just like everybody and everything. And you're just one of these people who uh, never cries, but is always, uh, always happy all the time. Well, that's part of your quality. And you get a new avatar, you'll tend to be a happier person unless your avatar is in a situation where it's horrible all the time. And then maybe you'll you'll shift some. So then your I U O C will have happy. Happy avatars, happy uh, you know data in its database, and maybe sad data in its database. So w- when it starts out, it kind of depends on the situation that the avatar is in as to how that avatar is going to develop what it's got, what it came in with. But it does mm-hmm. come in with certain attributes of quality. Happiness is probably an attribute of quality. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah, so, that makes uh, sense
3: you see like new kids come in they, they come in with personalities very
1: distinct personalities They do come in with personalities matter of fact it not only do you notice that they come in with personalities but if you watch that child like it's like if it's yours your child you've known it from birth and when that child is 40 years old you will still see that personality that it came in with when it was born you will still say, yep, that's, you know, that's Sally, you know, she came in like that. She was a little imp, always causing trouble and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, always having fun and playing jokes and that sort of thing. And when she's 40 years old, she's going to be the same way. That's the way it is for most people. Mm -hmm. You don't, uh, I mean, you, you learn to control things better. You know, you learn to expand your horizons, but that same personality that you come in with generally sticks with you for a lifetime mm-hmm. not to say that you can't change it or that it doesn't change sometimes but in general the, the the big parts of it you know the 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 uh kind of the the low frequency parts of it the big parts they are uh they're they're pretty um uh, they're pretty stationary they stay through your whole life
4: okay okay
3: I'll let somebody else ask a question. I had another
4: one, but... May I ask a question on this, please? I thought uh, I wouldn't ask anything today, but what you said right now... uh, Is okay to ask on this? Yes, please go ahead. Uh, Hello, Tom. Uh, It's a very strange thing, Havenek. I I couldn't even uh, say it on the questions because uh, uh, (laughs) it's really strange. but what you say uh, that uh, we can uh, exchange, uh, it, it can happen, really. Uh, I mean, the consciousness of somebody else to come in your avatar and you to feel what what happens to me is that uh, I had this strong connection with this uh, person that you know, and uh, uh, I, could, I could feel at the beginning, I could just feel how he feels. I could feel his sadness. I would say to him first if he feels bad and what he feels and what he thinks and everything. This was huge, much more than the um, normal empathy, because I am an empath, but this is uh, very huge. Um, Today is now, uh, at some point, he's, uh, I was like uh, getting into panic attack and he said, no, you won't have it. Uh, very decided, and immediately I felt better and he started to have my own panic attack. Uh, okay, I didn't think that this was like he felt like he took my panic attack or something, I couldn't uh, explain it like that but uh, these two days uh, I feel extremely depressed and he doesn't feel depressed anymore, he feels stressed and unquiet as I was feeling with the panic attacks and I feel his uh, depression and when I um, describe it to him it's exactly the way he was feeling it and um, I know it's not my sadness, I know that, I can distinguish it, but it's too much, I can't function. And uh, what you said right now, uh, like, uh, uh, another consciousness comes, it's like our, our consciousness have been exchanged, can this thing happen?
1: Yeah, it's not that your consciousness have been exchanged, it's just that you're very sensitive to that individual because you have a, a lot of your intention is focused on that individual and when a lot of your intention is focused on somebody particularly if it's somebody that you that you care about and you're really close to then you start uh you know sharing their experiences you start uh uh, well not only like i say not only being empathic that's true but empathy can come in all you know can be turned down low or turned up high you can have a lot of empathy but you can actually experience what they're experiencing. If you, you know, here's a, here's a thing you can practice to do that. You can uh, stand. You can go up to a place where, let's say, people are eating at a, at a lunch counter, where they sit down at a, at a counter, and uh, you can't see what they're eating because it's in front of them and you're behind them. Just settle into a, a, a calm state and see if you can't taste what they're eating. You can. It's not that hard you can actually taste the food they're chewing. You know, if there's a dill pickle in it, you'll go, wow, dill pickle. You know, you'll you'll taste what they're tasting. You can connect to people like that. You can see what they're seeing. You can look through their eyes and see what it is that they are able to see.
4: Yes, this, yes, this, this, stuff this stuff is available.
1: It's all available to you because it's all part of the database. You're just getting data out of the database with your intent because you're very uh, tightly connected to this individual. So that's what's going on. You're not really getting into their consciousness or they into yours. You're reading data out of a database. Now here's another thing because you can be close to people and you can have, you can have their symptoms. You know, when uh, women get pregnant, often their husbands will put on weight just as they put on weight. Sometimes their husbands will uh, will get other pregnancy Uh, Symptoms, you know, um, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe tired or maybe they'll start uh, something that's sort of a mirror of labor pains. There's a name for it. I can't think of the name right now, but they will actually feel some of the some of the attributes of birthing a child in their own bodies. And there's some name. It's very common. You know, it probably happens in, you know, 75, 80 percent of those couples where the where the the man and the woman are very close they take on some of the things that the other has so yes when you're very very close to somebody then you end up uh sometimes taking on some of their characteristics feeling the things they feel you may even put on weight when they put on weight you may have cramps when they have cramps you know it's uh it's just the way it is. We can get close to people, and when we do, our intent is focused on them. And when your intent's focused on them, you get all the data. And you can turn that data into your own physical feelings. And so, how
4: can we control that? I mean, how can I control it to you, not feel you, the depression and to be able to function?
1: You control it with your intent. You have to let it go. Instead of being uh, open to that person and everything that that person feels, your intention has to say, Well, that's not mine. I can't help that. There's nothing I can do about that. It's not my experience. Everybody has to have their own experiences and learn from them so even though it's a it's an awful experience, you have to let people be themselves, not jump into their game, jump into their life, tell them what to do, or sometimes anything else. You just have to let them deal with what they have to deal with, and when you have that attitude. Then when you get to things like a depression, then your intent is not to feel all that. Your intent is to let them deal with it themselves. It's their lesson to learn. And it's best if you don't get into their lesson. Let them learn it. They'll learn it better if they just have to learn it. So that's how. You have to control your intent. Instead of your intent always being an open channel to everything, you need to selectively turn some things off. And let other people have their life, their things they do. You know, you see somebody and they're they're doing something that, you know, is not helpful to them. It's hurting. It's something they're wound up around and it maybe even makes your life difficult too. But if it's their thing to deal with, you have to let them deal with it. And you have to back off and give them the space to deal with it in their own way and their own time. And they may not deal with it very well, or they may put off dealing with it for years. You have to let that be and accept that that's the way it is. So you let people be, however they are. That's one. Yeah. That's how you turn off this connection when the connection is dysfunctional. Same okay. with empaths. Empaths can turn that, that empathy down. You can turn it on and off, up or down, just with your intent, but People who are empaths and get more information than they really want and can't turn it off—it's because they have their channel open all the time. Their channel's wide open, and they are—they have an intention to be connected to everybody, even though in their intellect that makes them uncomfortable. So they have to take charge. Uh, get at the being level, get that intent under control, and make it just do what you—you know—what you want it to do. So that's how you control it, uh, Corina.
4: Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you.